Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Corne finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Oh, yes, delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. And Dolberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Well, it was a very bad week to be a Paris Saint-Germain fan. A great week to be a Marseille or Monaco fan. If you're a Nice or Reims fan, you're probably still pinching yourself. And if you're a Lyon fan, stop protesting for just one minute and enjoy back-to-back wins for the first time since October. This is Le Beaujeu, the official Ligue 1 podcast. I'm Robbie Thompson, stepping into the big shoes vacated by Ian Holyman for this week and next and joined by Ligue 1 commentators and journalists Angus Turode and Andy Scott. Angus, how are you? Have you recovered from Brahimi's specials over the weekend? Yes, uh, I have indeed. That was pretty special, and uh, I think uh, our faith in him is growing by the moment, as is uh, Nice's fans as well. Andy Scott, big weekend for you as always, commentating all the action. How are you going? Not bad, thanks, Robbie. Uh, pl- pleasure to be here as ever. It's always a, a, a quick turnaround after a late finish on a Sunday night. To do the podcast this morning, but um, I'm I'm as fresh as I can be in the circumstances. It's all part of the charm of the the Monday morning league on podcast. Coming up, we're going to talk title race because we've been warning that it might be on. It is on. The title race is not just a one horse race this season. Paris Saint Germain came unstuck against Monaco this weekend, just three days after being dumped out of the Coupe de France by Marseille. The gap now to the old enemy Marseille is just five points after Marseille got up over Clermont. Didier Digard is a man on a mission. He is on a record-breaking run as new coach of OGC Nice. Their scoring is continuing. Bilal Brahimi grabbing the headlines, but it was a fantastic team effort against Ajaxio. And we're going to talk promotion as well. We're taking a good hard look at all the favourites and the outsiders to come up from Ligue 2. That's a fan question asking us to have a look at the second tier. So we're going to get to do that as well. And we're also going to run the rule over the Ligue 1 sides whose heads are on the chopping block this season because four sides are going down. Of course, there's our regular Deja Vu quiz at the end. This month, you have the chance to win a Lionel Messi PSG jersey because this month we have two classiques. One has already gone Marseille's way in the Coupe de France and the two meet again in a couple of weeks' time in Ligue 1. So stay with us right to the end of the show. Check us out on Twitter, at Ligue 1 World, and at Ligue 1 underscore ENG, or English. Email us your questions, your comments. Get involved, Ligue 1 podcast at gmail.com. And check out all the video highlights and all the news and articles, interviews, and everything else around the Ligue 1 game on Ligue1.com, the official website. If you're listening to the podcast, like, subscribe, follow, and recommend. Well, it was a huge weekend. First up, we're going to start in Clermont, where there was a little bit of trouble pre-match. The game was delayed by a moment, but when it did finally get underway, Jeremy Clayman was calling all the action. Now a break on for Clermont. There's so much space on this right-hand flank. We didn't get the ball right, but it still run through. Champ. Well, he poked it out! And Paul Lopez could only present it to the foot 
of Grayson Kie. Shigo got it all wrong. But Kie just offside when the shot was taken. Confirmation, the goal will not stand. The striker denied his fourth of the season. Arnowski's pocket picked, but then caught. Then there's just the little trip. It was so unnecessary. It's Malinowski deflected. It's a superb reaction save from Diao, the first time he's really been called into action. Well, Murphy's whistle suddenly going. And there's going to be a VAR. Diao made a terrific save. But Cham's arm is what deflected Malinowski's effort. Just two minutes from the break. Alexi Sanchez coolly slots away. The penalty brought to the attention of Rudy Bouquet by VAR. Picks out the run of Klaus, clips it across. Oh, what a save! The bar, but it's ended up in the back of the net all the same. And they just can't stop Alexis Sanchez scoring. Brilliant run from Klaus, picked out by Under. Clipped it into the six-yard box. Mari Diao did brilliant initially, but when it came off the crossbar, it favoured the Chilean. Nothing Clermont could do to keep it out. Now, Alexis Sanchez was at the double. He has nine goals now this season. Olympic de Marseille, 11 wins in their last 14 matches in all competitions. Eight wins in their last 11 in the league. They're a side on a mission. They're closing the gap. Igor Tudor, Angus, is doing a fantastic job. And it's almost like they can smell a little bit of blood in the water, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. And what a shame it was that they didn't win the last game. Otherwise, they would have been even closer to Paris Saint-Germain. I know we're going to come to Paris Saint-Germain a bit later, but um, Igor Tudor has been having a uh, an interesting time. He wasn't exactly very popular at the beginning of his tenure. There was an awful lot of love for Jorge Sampaoli when he, uh, he left because he was just that kind of emotional firebrand that Marseille supporters absolutely love. But uh, he brings his own sort of immensely tall uh, authority to uh, the Marseille Convention. He's stuck to his guns. He's uh, not gone with the uh, the emotional highs and lows. He's just kept on going. And Marseille are now becoming a pretty solid outfit once again. Andy, he did get booed before his first game because, yes, Marseille do love a uh, temperamental South American coach. But do they not know Croatians? <laughs> I mean, because they, could, they should have thought, well, we've done the Argentinians. This could be next level with Igor Tudor because... It is. It is pretty intense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, obviously, he he was picked up, wasn't he, from um, from Serie A by Pablo Longoria, the president, who's who's got his finger on the pulse with everything in Italian football. He did a very good job at Verona. Um, you know, finishing in ninth place with them is 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 some achievement, really. 
So there's a reason why they brought Tudor to Marseille. Um, you know, the 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 sort of the the atmosphere, the 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 the, the situation in which Marseille live all the time is is they're always on edge. You're always two results away from a crisis. I think you've got to be a special type of character to be able to handle that job. It's not for everybody. Um, I can't imagine that Tudor will be there a particularly long time. I think it's just you know it's just the nature of it that these guys will come and go and possibly only last you know maybe 18 months two years at most but for the moment things are going very well um you know they, they i thought it was quite interesting during the week ahead of the psg cup tie the captain valentin rongier who's been brilliant for them this season and was brilliant in the cup tie in particular playing um playing at a defensive role uh you know he said that our main objective this season is to qualify for the champions league our number two objective is to win the cup he didn't say anything about winning the league i think marseille are realistic enough to to they don't want to Maybe, you know, sort of, how, how do we say it? You know, they don't want to kind of get the, have the fans getting too carried away either. I don't think they want to come out and say we want to be winning the league. I think they're aware that that's a tall order for them. But they play PSG in two weeks' time. And if they can win that game, if, if they win this weekend, if the gap remains five points, if they win that one, then there will only be a couple of points in it. So the title race could be on. I mean, I, I suspect it's still probably a, a, a very, very tall order for them. But they're in a very good position in the Cup. That's a competition they've not won in 34 years which is remarkable, and they're on course to, to get back into the Champions League, which is somewhere they have to be for their finances. So things are going very well for them at the moment. They're winning games that they should be winning, uh, like the game on Saturday in Clermont. They, they are playing with such passion and intensity and everything which you associate with Marseille as a place, with the, the crowd at the Velodrome and with Igor Tudor. And I think everything is coming together really nicely for them at the moment. Angus, that was Marseille's first win over Paris Saint-Germain, just going back a little while to the to the cup win on Wednesday since 2011. And the, the first season of, the, of Qatari investment taking over PSG, it's been a long time between drinks, is maybe Alexis Sanchez a big part of that as well? Because he is having a fantastic season. That's nine goals now for him in the league. Yeah, I was, it's funny because when um, when Andy said that um, the, the club are trying not to raise expectations, I was thinking, well, you shouldn't do things like beat Paris Saint-Germain in the cup in the way they did it as well because the atmosphere was absolutely electric and they celebrated after the game as if they'd won the cup itself. So I think that that doesn't really do much to dampen the expectations. I think for the neutral, it's fantastic because we might have another run in like we did a couple of years ago with Lille. Not necessarily that uh, Marseille will win it, but it would be nice that uh, another of these uh, league and campaigns goes all the way to the edge. Um, I think that, uh, what was the question again? I've lost what you said. Alexis Sanchez. That's right, Alexis How Sanchez. good is he? Well, <laughs> he's beginning to grow into the role. I, I would. I. I was thinking before the game on in midweek that I was a little disappointed, to be honest with you, that he hadn't had a bigger return uh, in terms of goals. But his link-up play has certainly been there. I think he he's gradually growing into it. I think that you can't just assume that a big name that came in because there was lots of fanfares when he came in at the beginning of the season. We've got Alexis Sanchez, one of the big world stars. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll grow into it straight away. Lionel Messi took a while to find his scoring boots, and now this season is, is refining them. And I think the same thing might happen with the Chilean. Well, the Marseille have had a little bit of trouble finding number nines or, or you know, consistent goal scorers as well, haven't they? There was Dario Benedetto, then there was Arkadeusz Milik more recently as well. They're the last two who haven't really been able to, to go on. So, you know, nine goals is not a, is not a bad return by any stretch. I would just say, however, Marseille celebrating as though they'd already won the Cup. The last team to beat PSG in the Cup lost the final as well. That was Nice just last season. So look out. Beating PSG in the Cup doesn't mean 
that the cup oh, is dear, yours, oh dear, oh dear. spoken like a true <laughs> Parisian. <laughs> In other results, Reims got up 4-0 over Troyes. They are on an incredible run under Will still unbeaten in 17 matches in all competitions. It is a remarkable turnaround. And how about Balogun, the, the goal scorer, now alone at the top of the goal scoring charts with 15. Yeah, Reims are really doing a fantastic job and it shouldn't be uh, understated. That was a big derby victory for them as well because derbies in French football are few and far between, but they are passionate affairs. And that one was the derby of the Champagne region against Troyes, a Troyes side who look in all sorts of trouble and the CFG project may be looking to rebuild in Ligue 2 next season if things are, can't get turned around by Patrick Kisnorbo, their Australian coach at the moment. Fingers crossed he can do that. Toulouse, they were 3-1 winners over Rennes. Now, this was something of a big turn-up, I think. Andy, how did you see this result? And are Rennes just going through a little bit of a hiccup? We talk about expectation, about maybe trying to keep a lid on things. Rennes, we were thinking, were positioning themselves nicely, one back off the rail, to uh, have a great tilt at this. And now, all of a sudden... To lose, bringing them unstuck. I didn't think it was a huge surprise, really, when I saw that result. I didn't see the game uh, yesterday, but I was I was not at all surprised that that Toulouse had beaten them because I think they've been doing pretty well, actually. I mean, they they played well in Paris for long spells of the game last weekend against PSG, and and you know they've not been losing many games. They they lost that one only to Lionel Messi goal. Um, we've talked about their recruitment. It's very savvy the the job they've done in bringing players in and and building a team to compete in Ligue 1. And Rennes' form has, has been very patchy. I mean, they beat PSG just a few weeks ago. They are very strong at home. But, um, you know, I, th- I think the danger is that they're going to... I mean, they're out of the European places this morning after that result. And with Lille winning as well yesterday, they're down to sixth. I think it's going to be very hard for them to, to, to maintain the pace with the sides above them. The likes of Monaco and Marseille are doing very well at the moment. And, and you know, there's a, a danger that they might not qualify for Europe at all at this rate because it's not just the teams above them. It's the teams behind them, like Nice, who are, who are catching up with them very fast, and they they need to start picking up results. They've got one or two problems, Ren. Obviously, Matan Terrier is their best player. You would say he's the top scorer last season, the top scorer this season. He's not playing again this season because of that knee injury he suffered at the beginning of January. It's not just him. The captain Amari Traoré has been on the sidelines. I think he's not due back for a couple of weeks yet, if I'm not mistaken. So. They've got important players missing and, you know, any team at Rennes level, even though they've invested a lot of money in the squad in, in, in the last couple of years, if you, if you take out a couple of really big players, it's going to be hard to replace them. It's really, as I said last week, it's really competitive uh, league on this season, you know, especially kind of below the very top. I mean, PSG are still, they still have that, you know, big advantage over everybody else. But when you get down to third, fourth, fifth, sixth position, even beneath that, there is really, really, competitive at the moment and and the danger is if you start you know dropping points three four five games in a row you 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 stop winning then the danger is that you fall out of the european places and you might not catch catch back up again so that's a danger for ren and they, they are in a slump their away results are not good and um they need to turn it around they do have a little bit of european football coming up as well perhaps they've got one eye on that because we know angus that this ren side yes they've lost a couple of important players but they're an ambitious football club Let's not forget, they've shown that with the money they've spent over the last couple of seasons. And they had Champions League football three years ago now, but they're looking to make their mark in Europe as well. Well, they are, but the trouble is, is I don't think it's any um, 
coincidence that uh, those winds have started creeping in since Martin Terrier has been injured. I, I think that uh, he was such an important player. I mean, they have other good players around them, but um, I think that he was the basically the glue that held them all together. And I think they're now a little bit, even outsiders now, to make it into European competition because there's no hope of Terrier coming back this season. And he's been so good. I mean, this season and last for them, I think he's the team that has really brought them back up into that Champions League equation and conversation, which have now, of course, they've dropped back out of again. Nice versus Ayacu, as I like to call them, Ajaxio, uh, was another of the big games on the weekend because Nice, we say it at the start of every season in recent years, they're one to keep an eye on. Well, at the moment, all eyes are on Nice. And Angus Turode, you were calling all the action. In it comes then from uh, Bur- Buradina Bunanini with Tosaining and it's in! Dunch races away in delight and Nice continue their wonderful run under their new coach Didier Digard. The centre-back coming up with his first goal of the season through a couple of players. No touch needed from Gaetan Laborde. Hit that really well. And then uh, Brahimi is about to come on who scored in the last game. Sofian Jop also uh, lining himself up as well. Corner's taken quickly, though. Jop with his first touch. Brahimi! Brilliant! Unstoppable! From the man who completed the 3-1 win away in the velodrome at Marseille, he might well have secured the three points again here in the Allianz Riviera against the Jaxio. Mediterranean magic from Brahimi. What a way to score a second goal of the season. And goals in back-to-back games. 2-0 to Nice. And more points on the way. Jop. Barkley. To Brahimi. Brahimi's going to go for it again! Oh, it's even better! Well, the first one was a contender for goal of the week, but the second one will surely seal it. He hadn't scored a league and goal until last week. Now he's got three in two games. Magnificent stuff from the Algerian international. Well, you saw what he was going to do. He just looked at it and thought, you know what? Top corner, I fancy that. Absolutely no hope for Benjamin Loire. What a strike. Three points definitely in the bag now. They are loving their football at the moment. Now, Angus, you called it. It got very, very special. I sent you a couple of text messages because I was up very early on the other side of the world watching this one. And mm-hmm. uh, it was spectacular at the end. Nice, I was looking at the crowd and thinking, it's rare to see a stadium where you have more fans behind the goals, more ultras than you do fans in the whole rest of the stadium. But that seems to be the case at Nice, that's not what I wanted to bring to bring you in for. That's just a little observation, though. But this Nice side under Didier Digard, this has to be one of the great turnarounds in recent footballing history. I can't think of a side where a coach, untried debutant coach, has come in and had this kind of effect. Yeah, it seems to have been a season for young coaches, doesn't it? With Will Still at Rance and now Didier Danga, who's a little bit older, to be honest with you, but um, coming in at Nice, sixteen points. Out of 18 in his first six games is just astonishing. And 
it's I think it's the belief. I was I was having a little conversation with Luke about this to see whether or not there was any sort of secret he had unearthed. And because I, I hadn't found it myself. And he came up with, thankfully, largely the same thing as me. It just seems to be a belief in confidence. And Didier Danga, he looks like a bit of a community youth club leader, doesn't he? With his hoodie on and uh, shaved head, this sort of metro beard going on. He, he certainly looks like the antithesis of what you would regard as a top level coach. But you can also see he's sort of a calming influence as well. Whatever happened against the Jaxio, he looked exactly the same. It was almost as if like everything fitted into the plan. The, the, the players seem to have lost faith in um, Lucien Favre towards the end. And in some senses, you can see that the way they've suddenly switched on the moment that the new man came in. And you could say that's a rebound, but I don't think that's enough to really explain it. It's also got to be the personality of the man coming in as well. And I think Brahimi is a man who has really grown. He was told that uh, he, they had total confidence in him. Go out and do it. It's funny because they've gone back to playing a 4-3-3, which is how Lucien Favre started off the season, except that the, the personnel in that 4-3-3 has changed. No Andy Delore anymore. He's uh, moved out after falling out with uh, the authorities in the club. But they've really brought in a couple of really great players, like Buonami, the, the youngster out on the right-hand side, who was a real influence in that game. But uh, Brahimi has now scored, what, three goals in his last two games. He'd never scored before in Liga. And when you see the confidence of the finishes that he's now putting in, it's hard to believe. The first goal he scored was a lovely half volley from Sofiane Diop, who came on exactly the same time as him four minutes before. He's in from Monaco, which is a great addition, I think. And the second goal, though, was just ridiculous. I mean, it's, you know, I said in the commentary, as you would have heard, he's like, he saw the top corner and he thought, you know what, I'm having that. And he just belted it from 30 metres from the corner of the, um, the penalty area. And you could see his, uh, the reaction of his teammates. It was just absolute delirium. But a little quick word for Danch before uh, we knock on that. Hadn't scored for so long. He doesn't really score. Scored the first goal with a striker's finish, you have to say, and ran off like a small boy who'd just been given a bag full of sweets. It was absolutely amazing stuff. It was a, a great game from the point of view of goals. The rest of the game... Okay, but nothing special, but it was a confident performance again. Goals win football matches, though. I was just trying to think. You called him Didier Dengar, and I was trying to think if there, if you were having some no. special play on words there about being crazy yeah, or no, something, no, no. Dango, or crazy, crazy Didier. No, 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 that, but it's just Digger. I, I know. I sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> get, sometimes get into that. During the game, I called him Digger all the way through, but uh, sometimes when I relax, I'm not concentrating. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story because, of course, Didier used to play for PSG. Back in uh, back in the old days, before he before he headed over, did he come from Loire? He did, yeah. He did. I think was it. Yeah, that's right. And then he headed overseas to perhaps Middlesbrough. And I remember when he was playing for PSG. There's a a trendy uh, intellectual football magazine in France, and I think we got in a bit of trouble for saying the name of it last time because you're not allowed to do promotions in France. So I'll just leave it at that. They sent a couple of journalists and a photographer to Didier Digard's family to uh, watch a game of PSG play when he was there. And uh, Didier had a couple of kids when he was a young teenager. He had to grow up very fast. He was um, a little bit from the wrong side of the tracks, a standard working-class family from up north. And uh, he called his, one of his child was called Miles. And the, uh, the journalist said, was that a tribute to the uh, jazz musician Miles Davis? And it was so beautifully written in the article because it said, I asked... 
tribute to Miles Davis. Dad didn't answer. Mum doesn't think so. <laughs> and that's all it said. I just thought that was quite brilliant. <laughs> Andy, he's proving that he knows and, and can get his side to hold a tune, though, Didier Digger. I mean, we do talk about this side and the investment. I mean, Blanc has arrived at the perfect time. Jean-Claude Blanc from Paris Saint-Germain to take over the, the runnings. But we know that there's been movement behind the scenes. But here we're seeing, finally, on the football pitch, a side that the, the Nice faithful can get excited about. And it's one of their own because Didier obviously played there as well and has been in the coaching ranks in the youth there as yeah, well. Yeah, and that, that's the thing about it, you know, because Nice were linked with some big coaching names. Even when Lucien Favre was still at the club, there was talk that they wanted Mauricio Pochettino. I think Thomas Tuchel was even linked with the job. You know, I mean, this is maybe just paper talk, you know, but it's it's the kind of name that Nice's owners who have a lot of money behind them, um, the kind of profile that they were maybe thinking about that they would like to have. They brought in Didier Digard because he was already on the staff. It was an interim move. It was basically a, let's just see how this goes. P- possibly because he didn't really have any better options. They hadn't, you know, found anybody better. A bigger name wasn't available to them. Pochettino maybe didn't want the job. Um, but Degas done brilliantly. I mean, I, the the danger with these things is always that it's a short term thing, and that that eventually they'll they'll tail away again, and 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 then he will not be there perhaps next season. So we'll have to see how it goes. It's a great start. I mean, he's he's got the right profile. Um, you look at German football; it's it's very common to see you know young coaches coming in and and being given an extended opportunity, and and a lot of them tend to do very well. He's in that age bracket. He's in his mid thirties. Um, there, there was an interesting piece in the in in L'Equipe, the the Sports Daily in France at the weekend, talking about how certain coaches how they manage to, um, you know, get on the same level as the young guys who are their players. I mean, there's there's a lot of you know these are young men playing in in league, and these are guys in their late teens, their early twenties. Look at Bilal Brahimi, for example. Danji is is the exception because he's older than the coach, but. Didier Degar has been able to get a tune out of these young players because perhaps he can, um, you know, he can he can connect with them in a way that Lucien Favre was unable to. But we'll see how we'll see if they can maintain this. I mean, the results have been incredible. You just look back a week ago when they they you know they 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 beat Lens away and then they beat Marseille away, having already beaten Lille at home. Now they've got this result in a game they'd be expected to win. If they can keep on this form, then they'll be qualifying for Europe. That's that that looks like it's what's going to happen. And with the investment they put in, that's where they need to be. That's where they want to be. So, good luck to them. And uh, they up front, they have really connected. I mean, the they're a confident team now coming forward. And when Terry Moffy starts to score, then they're going to become even more powerful because he's only just come in from Lorient, which is a, a big um, addition again to their side. And again, it's a, maybe it's a, there's a, a new clever way of uh, signing players here already. You can already see, I think that there are a few very intelligent signings that are coming through. And as long as they can keep hold of them in the long term, then that's the way they're eventually going to build. They also have, and just going back to the idea of bringing uh, young coaches through that can talk, Maramar Vairua is uh, in the Youth Academy coaching ranks and so is, and this is a even more obscure name and uh, we'll test those Ligue 1 loyal listeners. Cedric Varro is also one of the under-19 coaches as well. So Lionel Letizy is uh, in the academy and one of the old goalkeeping coaches. So they're bringing through people that have played at the club, that have what they, you know, clubs like to say now, building a club culture, club DNA. And uh, Nice are certainly doing that. Qualifying for Europe won't necessarily be in that club's DNA, but it's somewhere where they want to be. Maybe they're becoming genetically modified Mm. and soon will be a uh, European club 
another one from France. Well, in other results, Lille, 2-0 victors over Strasbourg. Jonathan David with the double, or Jonathan David, depending on which part of Canada you're from. He is now level with Alexander Lacazette and Wissam Ben Yedda on 14 goals this season. A lot of players have overtaken Kylian Mbappe, who's on the sidelines at the moment. There was also a big win for Montpellier, 3-0 over Brest in the De Zaccarinaco. The big derby match between the man who just uh, coaches between Montpellier and Brest. If he's not at Nantes, which is Michel de Zakarian, but uh, Savanier and Wahi getting the goals. And that's certainly two quality players that we'd like to see in Ligue 1 next season as well. So hopefully that result can help kickstart Montpellier back towards safety. Robbie, I've just got to say, uh, Michel de Zakarian was, uh, was the Brest coach at the beginning of the season when Montpellier beat him 7-0. And then he goes back to Montpellier. That's right. Goes back to Montpellier and in his first game beats Brest 3-0. So if they could only play Brest every week, then um, everything would be fine. Sadly, they, they, they're they not going to play them again this season. I think that's a lot of people that would uh, <laughs> probably be, be, be looking forward to playing Brest every week at the moment. Things not going so well there. Andy, we're going to stick with you. Lyon versus Lens. Uh, that was another big game this weekend between... Uh, well, not really traditional rivals, I think, but a Lens side who are, are certainly looking to replace Lyon at the moment and take Lyon's place as a, a side that are regularly competing at the top of the table. They are a side that have a little bit more European pedigree down the years, about 20 years ago, when they were a force to be reckoned with, both in France and in Europe. That is now, though, three wins in an unbeaten run of four for Lyon. Andy Scott called all the action. Cherki. Cherki to Lacazette, first sighting of goal for Alexandre Lacazette and it's Lyon who take the lead. He has been in lethal form, Lacazette, since returning to his boyhood club. It's his 18th goal of the season. And it's a goal, really, that comes from nowhere. Lyon hadn't created much at all in the early stages, but then the long ball played forward towards Lacazette. It took uh, a touch off Machado. Lacazette scrapping to collect the loose ball. It fell to Ryan Cherky, and a lovely pass from Ryan Cherky to set up Lacazette. That duo combining to perfection. Once again, they really are developing an outstanding partnership. Thomason, Thomason's cross, touched on by Sotokar, the shot is an absolutely stunning hit from David Machado, and looks a back level, a flash of brilliance, and uh, that is a tremendous goal, Adrian Thomason's ball in, Sotokar with the lightest of touches, just hoping I think to help it on to a teammate behind it, maybe Fulgini, but in the end it was Machado who didn't think twice about that, Kakre's latest dead ball delivery. Kakre's got it back again. And the shot from Sherki smashed into the net. And in the absence of Lacazette, Ryan Sherki stands up and delivers for Olympique Lyonnais. They retake the lead here. Well, all credit to Maxence Kakre, you have to say, because after his free kick was cleared, he was straight in there to rob the ball back from Luis Openda. And Cherki set up the opening goal for Lacazette with a terrific finish 
And Andy, a big one in this. Yes, they had Lacazette score, but then go off injured. But tell us a little bit about Ryan Shirky, because this is a player. He's now 20 years of age. We've been talking about him for years and years in French football. Is this the season there was talk linking him to PSG during the January transfer window? Again, we don't know how much of that was true or not. But he is a player who's finally starting to shoulder all that expectation. We talk about expectation. He's looking the real deal now. Yeah, I mean, he's still 19, Rob. He's not 20 until August. And, and he's been around for a long time because he was 16 when he made his debut. So, you know, he came in as a lot of excitement about this incredible talent. It's only now, as you say, that I think he's beginning to fulfill his potential. I mean, one of the things that's been talked about a lot in France in the last few days is how Alexandre Lacazette has got a new partner in attack at Lyon. Um, and it, and, and it, it brings back memories of... His previous spell at Lyon and his most fruitful spell at Lyon before when he was with Nabil Fekir. And certainly, Cherki and Fekir are not dissimilar players. You know, they've come through the academy at Lyon. They're technically really, really talented football players. Um, and, and you see that with Cherki last night. I mean, he sets up the opening goal for Lacazette, then he scores the winner. And that is what Cherki needs to be doing. You know, I mean, he, he needs to be influencing games. There was a, a long spell there where he was being used as a, a bit part player coming off the bench from time to time, not really doing anything, looking like a bit of a luxury player, not really offering much. Now he is, he is being decisive in games. That's three consecutive games, as you say, in the last week. They've won them all, including on penalties in the Cup against Lille. And in all three of them, both Lacazette and Cherki have scored. So they're developing a really, really exciting partnership. He is such a wonderfully talented player with a big future ahead of him. The big question, obviously, is how long will he be at Lyon if he carries on like this? I mean, they, tur- they turned down interest from Paris Saint-Germain. They were very quick to, to sort of publicise this, admittedly, in, in January, you know, that PSG wanted Cherki and that they were not having any of it. I suppose that was trying to send out a message to their supporters that they're still a serious force that can keep their best players. Um, and because there's been a lot of criticism from the fans of the recruitment at Lyon, and, um, you know, the club is is still in a bit of a mess behind the scenes, relatively speaking. So these results that they've had in the last few days with Cherki and Lacazette playing really well, really important for them. It means they've still got, you know, something to cling on to in the European race in the league. They're still in the cup. Let's not forget they've not won a major trophy in more than a decade now. So things are looking a little bit better for them. But the injury to Lacazette, you know, is a minor concern. It didn't look like a serious one. He came off uh, at half time. So let's see how long he's on the sidelines. They obviously need him back quickly but you know really encouraging last couple of games for Lyon that's the first time this season that they've beaten one of the big teams in the division you know they've tended to win the games that they'd be expected to win and lose the games against the teams above them now they've beaten somebody who are you know who's doing really well this season albeit loss have slipped away in the last few weeks they've only won one in six since beating PSG on New Year's Day so you know loss are going back the way Lyon are moving forward it's, it's small steps at the moment but you know they have some Incredible players and Lacazette's return to Lyon is proving to be a, a major success. 18 goals now for him this season and Cherki is, is developing, yeah. It was one of the, the great images in that second half of an injured Lacazette on the sideline screaming for yeah. for his side to, to get across the line and hang on and fight and you can see what it meant to him. I think they're one of the protest banners. I mean, there are lots against the sporting director, um, you know, against the, the, new, the new owners and the new... Uh, People running the club, it's just not working. One of the signs said 11 years without a trophy for this Olympic Lyonnais side, which is a side that were brought up on, on, the, on the Ligue 1 trophy, basically, in the, in the early noughties. Angus, come to you, if I can, on loss then, because it's four games without 
defeat for Leon and three wins in that. But for Lens, that's now, as Andy just said, one win in six. They're dropping down. They're still in fourth place. They've still got a, a healthy buffer above Lille in fifth, but they are heading the wrong way. And uh, is, is, do they have reason to be worried? I think so, because, I mean, uh, that was um, that was Leon's first home victory since October, which shows you something about the way that um, Lance's form is going. But um, we shouldn't be too surprised, perhaps, by this from Lance, because the last two seasons, this has kind of happened to them in the last part of the season, when they've been very high up for a large part of it, and then dropped away to finish seventh in both seasons since they were promoted back up to the top flight. And... There just seems to be a little bit of a problem with the longevity for the season. There's there's such a they're a club which I think represents an emotional high that is right up there with Marseille. I think they don't have a stadium that it is big, but it certainly is passionate. And they when that when it's good for Lons, they're almost unstoppable. Um, Fafana leads them as he always does. He didn't quite manage to do it at the the weekend. He had chances but couldn't quite get onto them when it really counted. And I think that Lons, perhaps this is where we start to see maybe they don't have the biggest squad uh, in Liga, where they don't have the depth in the squad either that you maybe need if you are really pushing to try and get not just into Europe, but for a long time, they were second to Paris Saint-Germain and only a couple of points behind them at one point. And since they got that close, it seems that they have just almost realised how high up they were. Elsewhere, Nantes, 1-0 victors over Lorient with Ludovic Blas getting the winner. There may have been a little foul on Enzo Lefay in the build-up. That's certainly what Lorient were saying. Lorient are, however, on the slide. Nantes take on Juve in European football coming up as well. Big clash that for another Nantes side, another French side with European DNA. Angers versus Auxerre. This one was a, a battle of fear at the back. Matthias Ablin scored one penalty and could have won it for Auxerre in the last minute with basically the last kick of the game and he skied his penalty over the top so they miss out. Now we get to the one that most of you are waiting to hear us unpack and see just where it's all going wrong for Paris Saint-Germain at the moment and where it's all going right for their rivals. Monaco versus Paris Saint-Germain, Armel Tongi was calling all the action. Fafana, lovely play. Uh, did that come off the hand of Marquinhos? Ben Yedder looking to profit anyway. Golovin has. Alexander Golovin poking in from close range to give Monaco the opener. Yusuf Fafana with a touch of magic over El Shaddai Bitsiabu. May have been a shout of handball against Marquinhos. With Sam Ben Yedder with his attacking instinct decided to continue and it paid off. Alexander Golovin, well-placed at the back post to just tap it into the net that uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma had left open to his right-hand side. Alexander Golovin, one of the informed players for Monaco with his fifth of the campaign. And Monaco with a very early lead. We've barely played four minutes here at the Stade Louis Deux. Gianluigi. 17-year-old in his centre-back today, he's lost out, Ben Yedder can profit, can he profit fully? Yes, he can! 2-0 Monaco! Christophe Gautier searching for answers, Jerry Oleksiak, his assistant, looking to the sky behind him on the bench. It's not going to plan for the league leaders, Paris Saint-Germain, Al-Shaddai, Bichiabu, guilty. 
of dwelling in possession. Marquinhos had given the option down in the corner. He was uh, completely out of position afterwards. As a result, Crepantiata won it back from Monaco. Wissam Benyeda finished for Monaco. Soler with a bit of space here, perhaps a right-footed shot, no, it's into Bernat, chance this for Paris, goal for Paris, it's Warren Zaire Emery, and Paris Saint-Germain back into this one thanks to the youngest man on the field. It's three weeks until his 17th birthday, but he's the man that has given Paris a fighting chance in the second half with this uh, goal late in the first. Brilliant run from Juan Bernat, well spotted by his uh, compatriot Carlos Soler. The ball across was a beauty. Line for Golovin. Ben Seguir offering. Camera making the run. Ben Yedda has got goal side of Benat. Wissam Ben Yedda! He is on fire today. What a turn away from his man. And what a finish. What a first half for Monaco. And what a nightmare for Paris Saint-Germain. How about that? Another shimmy of the shoulders. He does that so well with Sam Benyeda. Leaving Juan Bernat for dead without touching the ball. And then the finish, well, that's elementary. A 14th league goal of the season for Monaco's captain. He goes level with Balogun at the top of the scoring charts and Monaco restore their two-goal lead. Well, that is now a third defeat for PSG in 2023. A fourth in all competitions, a second in four days after that Cup elimination at the hands of Marseille. And uh, to make it all worse, it's Bayern Munich who visit the Parc des Princes in just over 24 hours' time, or 48 hours' time for us here in Australia, if you uh, add on all the time difference. But the Parc des Princes, there are there are issues. There were apparently big blow-ups after the game. Um, Neymar not happy, Vitinha Eketike during the game, Marquinhos, who apparently has re-signed a new contract, but the club don't want to announce it at the moment because the atmosphere is just not uh, what it should be for such a joyous moment. Andy, how are you seeing this? Is all not well in the capital? <laughs> well, all, all is clearly not well in the capital. I mean, um, I, I, how, how do you sum it all up? You know, they come into a big Champions League game uh, in... In 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 crisis. I mean, we it's a crisis is where we bandy about very easily in football. But for a club like PSG to have lost four games out of ten in twenty twenty three, and those ten games include cup ties against lower division teams, they've had four defeats, all defeats away from home against good teams. You know, and Monaco, the latest one at the weekend, Marseille in the cup last week. I mean, last week we talked about this uh, when Ian was was presenting the show, and, and I said at the time, you know, let's things don't look particularly great, but let's wait a week. And they will be in a better position to analyse how they're looking because they've got two big games coming up. Well, they've lost them both. They were outfought completely and utterly in both games. Um, outclassed, I think, by Monaco for large spells of that game. And what was really striking, actually, was that in the second half in that game on Saturday, nothing happened. You know, Monaco were 3-1 up. There was a brief spell when PSG got a goal back. And then you thought, well, maybe they can come back into this. Monaco get the third goal. And that was that. PSG didn't have a shot on goal in the second half. So you have... Christoph Galtier admitting that things are not right. He can't find the right formation for his team. I think recru <clears throat> recruitment is an issue there. He didn't get the players he needed in the summer to play the three-man defence that he wanted. They've got injuries. You know, there's questions about the athletic conditioning of the of the team. Uh, what's going on behind the scenes? 
Big players are injured. You know, Lionel Messi, Marco Verratti, the latest ones. Obviously, Kylian Mbappe is on the sidelines. Um, we fully expected him to be out for the game tomorrow. There have been reports in the last day that, in fact, he's been training and maybe he'll be in the squad. And Julian Nagelsmann, the Bayern coach, said as soon as PSG announced that Mbappe would be out for three weeks, that this is all um, bluffing. He will be there. So we will see what happens with Mbappe. But it does raise questions, you know, even if he does play, is he fit? Should he be playing? Or are they just you know, desperate to get Mbappe on the field because nothing much is working for PSG just now. Uh, they can't afford to lose this tie. That is the reality. They might lose it because they're playing Bayern, who are a really, really good side. That's the danger in the Champions League. But PSG put everything into the Champions League. All their energy and focus is on winning that competition. And the danger is that they are going to go into this game tomorrow very much weakened on the field. Problems off the field. The supporters are not happy. Um, President Elkin Pembe picking up a megaphone to apologise to the travelling fans after the game on Saturday was was quite something to see. I think, I mean, I don't like to say they're in a mess, but they are in a bit of a mess. You know, I don't think they're playing well. I think the midfield is in a state. I think Neymar is just not the player that he was. And they need Messi and Mbappe to be in, in peak form and peak fitness, and they're not. So what do you say? I think the outlook is not great. Well, Messi and... Messi and Neymar were both stunning before the World Cup. So it's not a question of they're not the players they were. Yeah, but were. they're not the player. Not they, the player. they looked like they were back to their very best not before the, the World not Cup. The well, not the player they were three yeah, months exactly. ago. So... <laughs> okay, yes. Okay, absolutely. <laughs> no, and that is, the, that is the big dilemma. But the same goes for Carlos Soler. The same goes for Vitinha, who wasn't the same player. And that's where you see, and, and not to compare apples and, and pears, but <laughs> you see something of what's happening at Nice where the same players looked like they weren't fulfilling their potential. Suddenly you turn that round and they start doing that. And at Paris Saint-Germain, it looks the opposite. Angus, how, what's your take on what's happening at PSG? And is there any love in all this discussion for Monaco? Because I thought they were outstanding as well. Yes, Monaco. I mean, Monaco are having a good season. Uh, they've been a little bit up and down on occasion, but um, there's no getting away from the fact that Monaco do know how to beat Paris Saint-Germain. They've done so the last three times they've played them in the Principality. So. I don't think it should. I mean, the talk of crisis, I think, is very is 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 a little bit of a media construct. I think. I mean, they're still leading Liga. Can they really but, be expected? But Angus, to be... Angus, Angus, leading Liga is 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 borderline irrelevant for Paris Saint Germain. It's not about being top of the league. Of course, they're going to be top of the league in this competition. They've got such an advantage over everybody. That's just where they expect to be. But the issue is 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 the wider problems at Paris Saint Germain. It's not just about being top of the league. Yeah, but if I was going to finish my sentence, it would have probably answered <laughs> what you've just gone off at. Yeah. I, 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 my, my, my response to that is that the, the pressure on them and the expectation for them to be top of the league really is dependent on them having all of their big stars fit and present. And if they are, I completely agree with you. Liga is the minimum of their ambitions. But when you are missing the likes of Messi and Mbappe, and particularly Verratti. Verratti's been missing for two of those away defeats. And he has been the man at the heart of all the success that Paris Saint-Germain have enjoyed over this QSI era. He's been there for all of it. And I think that once they lose those kinds of stars and you're bringing in like uh, new signings like Eketike, you've got youngsters coming in like Bichiabu, who made a horrific, terrible decision to... Um, to, to turn infield, go back and ran into the Fox's um, uh, snare that was created by uh, Ben Yedda, then all of a sudden you've got a team that really can be challenged by 
those around them who are very well coached and are very organized and are not also suffering from the same kind of injury crisis. This uh, Paris Saint-Germain versus Monaco tradition, they are, if ever there was a bet noir, a, a bogey team for, for a side, Monaco are Paris Saint-Germain's side. In over 100 meetings, I think Paris Saint-Germain have only won just over 30 throughout, throughout the years, down over history. Monaco have always had the wood over them in big matches, and now we're seeing that that's continuing all this way. Very quickly, do we have a prediction? And people listening to this may uh, will have to get in quick, but what are we expecting at the Parc des Princes tomorrow night, Andy? We know Bayern Munich are very tough. What do you what do you think? Can you see Paris Saint Germain lifting for this occasion? Yeah. We know they've lifted in the past. They beat Bayern a couple of years ago in the in the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. They lost to them in the final in twenty twenty. How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I mean listen, I mean obviously there are there are reasons for PSG to be concerned, but they've still got some incredibly good players and if they click on the night, if Christoph Galtier finds the right blend on the night and, and if, if certain things go their way, of course, you know, even without Mbappe even without Messi, they can get a result. I mean, the other side of this is that probably if you're in Germany talking about Bayern, I think a lot of Bayern observers will say that, you know, they're not quite the team they were not so long ago. They've got injury problems themselves. So, listen, these are two teams with issues. I think it could be a great game. I, I mean, I don't I don't like to make predictions. I think it could be, I think it could go anyway. And I think the, the main thing for PSG is to make sure that they are very much in the tie going into the second leg because obviously that's when it's going to be decided in Munich in, in early March. Angus? In a lot less words. Well, we shouldn't forget that um, Bayern Munich are not exactly enjoying a vintage season either. I mean, they are in, involved in a uh, Bundesliga battle with Union Berlin. So, I mean, let's not get too carried away. They only went back to the top of the table the last couple of weeks and it was Bochum that they beat at the weekend. So, I don't think that um, people should be beating up Paris Saint-Germain too much. There's still a chance here. They've got, not got Neuer and they've not got Sadio Mane who missed the weekend games injured. So, there you go. But they do have... Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting. And that is enough to send the fear into the heart of any Paris Saint-Germain fan, let me assure you. Well, now it is another of the moments you've all been waiting for. We've talked about Paris Saint-Germain and everything that's going wrong there. Now we're going to talk Deja Vu and your chance to win a Lionel Messi jersey in the February Deja Vu quiz. All you have to do to get it right is answer this question. Who am I? And what is the bonus question? Send your emails with your answers to League One Podcast, League One Podcast at gmail.com with your answer. This is number three. We're going to have one more, or maybe two more in February, and we'll announce the winner at the end of the month. Who wins the Lionel Messi jersey? So here we go. Deja who? Who am I? Born in the south of France, I made my professional debut for my hometown club, where I spent three seasons in Ligue 1 and Ligue 2, before spending the next six and a half years further north, where my consistent form as a creative playmaker with an eye for goals saw me called up to the national team for my one and only cap with Les Bleus, a debut in which I scored France's only goal of the game. From there, it was back south with two new clubs and a Coupe de France final defeat, before one last transfer where I wrote my name into the history books of Paris Saint-Germain. Who am I and why might PSG not be where they are today if it wasn't for me? So there you go. There is the monumental 
question. And I'll give one just little extra clue because I know this is a particularly difficult one. Maybe I'll give two clues. The first one is that my one and only France cap, international football, came against a country which is the same distance from Monaco as is Brest. So there you go. Get out your compasses and start drawing big circles across maps of Europe and see uh, if you can work that one out. The other one is that I'm no longer with us. So there you go. We'll get, we're going back into the past to find a, a former player, a former important player in the French game, but who sadly passed away uh, a few years ago now. So if you think you know who that is, get on, as I've said, and email us your answers to league1podcast at gmail.com. Angus, any uh, little inklings? Have you been brushing up on your history books? Nothing more than an inkling. All right, we'll leave it at that. Well, we did receive a uh, very nice email last week as well from Michelle Mass and her partner Matt, who are mad Nice fans and uh, rather fittingly won the Andy Delors shirt from December. And they sent us a lovely email with a couple of photos of, of them on the road, in the stands, and as Nice fans, they've been enjoying the last few weeks. I have to... Uh, not to throw Michelle under the bus here, but she uh, she was a little bit sceptical of Didier Digger arriving at the club, and she's very happy to have been proved wrong. She takes it all back. So, Didier, if you're listening, uh, you've won over a new fan with a, a very loyal niece supporter in Michelle, and they sent us photos from, from uh, Marseille where they'd snuck in to uh, very quietly support the away team, and also Lens where they'd travelled... Uh, before that, so they're enjoying life on the South Coast and just proof that if you win the shirt, it can be a, a great way to enjoy your football. Send us your emails, send us your photos. If you're going to games around France, if you're, if you're touring from overseas and heading to a game, send us your emails. We'd love to uh, have a look at your photos and also tell your story. So thank you to Michelle and Matt. And that will do for this week's Deja Who. So now we're going to have a chat about promotion and relegation because we received an email from our Frenchie in Evreux who uh, <laughs> wanted to know what we think is going to happen. So we're going to throw this one open. We've seen that basically in Ligue 2 at the moment, it's Luaves to lose. They are absolutely bombing it away at the moment at the top of the table, but only two sides come up, Angus. You've been doing your research this week and having a look and uh, keeping your finger on the pulse. How do you see it playing out? Certainly, Luav are going to be back in the top flight, no? Well, it certainly uh, looks that way, yes. Um, they've been playing uh, tremendously well over the, uh, the the whole season, to be quite honest with you. They've only lost once. So, I mean, uh, it's it's come a little bit from, uh, from nowhere, in a sense. Uh, but they've uh, managed to uh, pull it all together. And uh, it's a really, really fine performance from them. And they've been helped by the fact that Saint-Étienne seemed to be determined to just go ever downwards. Um, they've recovered a little bit in the last couple of games, but it's not great. Bordeaux are there or thereabouts and uh, on the fringes of it as well. Mets are also struggling to come back up as well. So it's it's a graveyard, isn't it? League 2, to be quite honest with you, for, uh, for former top flight sides. And uh, it looks like they're all going to be pipped by Le Havre in the end. Andy, how do you see this playing out? It's true. The chat about Saint-Étienne, they were looking dead and buried and heading to amateur football, where they rose from after, after a couple of, of scandals in the, in the 90s. 
They made it back to the top. Now they're heading all the way. As Angus says, they have just turned it around briefly. But Bordeaux have made a much better fist of going down. Yeah, they have. And I think um, the decision to, to keep David Guillon as coach has maybe you know, got something to do with that at Bordeaux because he came in last season and couldn't save them from, from relegation. It seemed inevitable they were going to go down. But he's you know got a good track record at that kind of level. Uh, one of the issues, obviously, is that only two teams are coming up this season. There's no option of, of going through the playoffs. And Lav seems to have one of those those spots tied up. I mean, Angus said they've only lost once. That was in, in August, in round two of the season. So they're, they're looking really good. And the, the Lav coach is, uh, is Luca Elsner. So uh, a, a guy who we've seen in Liga before with mm-hmm. Ami. And also who worked with Will still at Stondal Liège in, in, in Belgium not so long ago. And now he's come to, to Le Havre and, and is leading them to the top flight. So it'd be great to see them back. It's been 14 years since they played in in Ligue 1. So I think it's about time they came back. They've got a great stadium um, up there and, and uh, it's, it's a nice place for an away day. Lovely walk along the beach. If you if you go along, catch a game and then, you know, you can be back in Paris within a couple of hours. So so I'm, I'm all for them coming back up. And behind them, it's between Sochaux and Bordeaux. And Sochaux, another one, right? It would be good to see them come back up. There was a big crowd at the weekend yeah. at their game against La 15,000 watching that one, a 1-1 draw. And from a local perspective, Paris FC, uh, I've seen them a few times um in, in league during the last few years, not so much this season. And, and, and uh, you know, one thing that I think you have to say is that a trip to Stade Charletti is never the most welcoming experience. It's it's cold at this time of year. There's the athletics track around the pitch. The crowds are not big. and uh, But Paris FC are, are, are trying to, to be a force. They'd love to get into league and they've fallen short in the playoffs a couple of times mid-table this year. And, um, and their game at the weekend was called off because the pitch was in an unplayable condition, which is which is pretty remarkable. Um, so there doesn't look like they're going to be anywhere near the, the promotion picture this season but yeah Bordeaux in with a real chance of coming back up and that would be I think you know pretty impressive because they were in an absolute mess last year and, and it looked like they were in real danger of, of tumbling down through the divisions even bigger danger than Saint-Étienne but they got their house in order Josh Major scoring the goal so, so maybe they will come back up well, in the standings, Loave currently lead the way on 48 points. We've got 15 matches left. They're eight points clear of Sosho, who, as Andy said, for romantics of uh, Ligue 1 football 20-odd years ago, or even more recently than that, 10 years ago. Sosho would be a, a nice return to the top flight. Bordeaux are there. They're a big club. Grenoble, who have also been right down to the depths of amateur football, are slowly fighting their way back up. They sit in fourth place on 37 points. And probably a bridge too far for them. They're 11 points behind Luav. Importantly, though, they're only three points behind Sosho in second place. Mess are there as well. And perhaps the final outsider, really, Cuvier Rouen, who have never played top-flight football down in sixth place, a side who have uh, done well in the cup over recent years. And that's generally a sign that a side is... Uh, Becoming more ambitious. Well, they're in Ligue 2 and they're doing very well this season as well. The Normandy outfit. It's not quite a Paris club, but it's not far either from Paris, Cuvier, Rouen. Well, we're just about done. Let's have a look at the weekend's action coming up in round 24. Auxerre versus Lyon. Nice versus Reims. Strasbourg against Angers. PSG take on Lille in the early kickoff on Sunday afternoon. 1pm kickoff there. Brest against Monaco, Lorient, Ajaccio, Rennes, Clermont, Troyes against Montpellier, Lens take on Nantes, and then the final match of the round, Toulouse versus Olympique de Marseille. Andy Scott, where would you like to go on a bon voyage?
Well, I think uh, certainly PSG Lille is going to be uh, an interesting one after the after the uh, the Bayern first leg, and given the way that Lille have been playing this season, I think uh, that should be a, a, a terrific game, uh, and it's you know it's the obvious one for for me to select. Otherwise, uh, I might suggest the trip to Alsace on Saturday night because Strasbourg Angers is a very big game at the bottom of the table, and uh, two sides who are you know both in danger of being relegated. Angers are you know, nailed on to go down, but Strasbourg are in desperate need of results and a trip to the Stade de la Meno is always good. One of the best atmospheres in, in France. So why not try that one and then jump on the first train back on Sunday morning to get to the Parc des Princes for, for PSG? Because it's an early kickoff, one o'clock on Sunday afternoon in, in, in Paris at the uh, at the Parc des Princes. So those would be my two picks for next weekend. Brilliant. All roads lead to Paris. Angus, where would you like to travel? Well, obviously, I would have liked to have, have taken the short trip um, east from where I am to uh, to go to the Paris Saint Germain. No, that would have no, no, you can't. Win. You can't but, come with me. But, <laughs> Not welcome. But uh, if I can't do that, and Andy has decided that um, I'm on the naughty step, then I'm going to go to Lens because uh, the Stade Bollette is always a great place to go, and it could be an interesting one against Nantes. We've had back-to-back wins, including that win at the weekend over Lorient. So uh, they seem to be coming back to a little bit of form as well. And uh, so I think I would head off to the north. Robbie, can I, can I say something completely stupid and, and ridiculous, which, which has occurred to us before? Oh, at which last. Has occurred to, which in, in a discussion we had before is, so Monaco are playing in Brest, right? Did you know, according to Google Maps, that if you go over land to get from Monaco to Brest, the distance from Monaco to Brest, it's actually, Monaco is actually closer to Romania than it is to Brest. By road, so uh, that's my little uh, little takeaway for the week. So if you if you fancy doing that one, get yourself to Monaco, jump in a car, drive to Brest. It will take you a long, long time, and then drive back again. How so many you, how many towns I did thought, you compare? Uh, I thought you were going to say we could go and watch Stau Bucharest. Well, for yeah, a second you know, there. so so the, just something I thought I'd throw in there. But um, it, it, I, I find that quite amazing. No, it's it's a long way from Monaco to Brest. That's that's my uh, takeaway for the week. Excellent, Angus. What were you going to add? No, I was going to say how many how many towns that he Googled to be able to work that one out. Is it, I mean, is there I, several I, different countries that he done Google you, Maps to? You'd have to you'd have to ask Ian Holyman because he I think he wrote an article once for the Leagueand.com website about how Brest against Monaco was the longest trip in Ligue 1 and then I went down a, a Google Maps rabbit hole and discovered that yeah discovered that you could get to Romania in less time here we go so you've obviously been talking to some sad Monaco fan yeah. who's done it I was going to say this is how I spent my spare time but it wasn't my spare time it was when I should have been doing something better well I think Nice versus Reims has all the trappings of an absolute classic between two sides who are turning things around this weekend really something to look forward to that's it for us today don't forget get on Twitter get on the email and get on league1.com, the official website as well for all things League Al. We will be back next week. I will be back for another stint in the hot seat. Before then, though, European football with Paris Saint-Germain and a big one for Paris Saint-Germain against Bayern Munich. And then they take on Lille. So much to look forward to. Monaco, Rennes and Nantes all in European action. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen this morning, this afternoon, this evening and we'll see you again soon. Cheers Robert. Bye. Messi again. This time maybe Messi's done it.